Welcome to podcast number 40. Today we are brought to you once again by Chef Notepad. Easily cost all your recipes and focus on the food. Say goodbye to those complicated spreadsheets. Check it out. It really is a good thing and I can't recommend it enough. Chef Notepad. Go find it, do it, it's a good thing. Okay, also, we've got our own Suncoast Fresh app for ordering as well. Guys, I'm sure you checked it out on Instagram and all the rest. Um, Just makes ordering heaps easier. It'll have um, prices on there. You can access all your invoices, good visibility. There'll be all these cool app specials. Keep all your invoices in one location. There's loads and loads of benefits. Check out the website, suncoachfresh.com.au for more information on the app. Uh, It's a definite winner. So today we have Mr. Cameron Matthews. Now, I've known Cameron a very long time, and this guy is a hardworking, decent human being who's done an amazing amount of work with sustainability across all levels of the kitchen, whether it not only be the, the product that we use, but the people that we're working with. Uh, our peers and farmers and all sorts of things. He's a super interesting guy. You're going to get a lot of value out of this in here. So sit back and relax, uh, Mr. Cameron Matthews. I'm doing that twice without realising. Are you oh, on? We on? We on? We on? Yeah, we are on. G'day, mate. Hi, mate. How are you? You're opening a restaurant tomorrow? Tomorrow night. Yep. And you, Five o'clock. And you, <laughs> <laughs> and you were nice enough to give us some time. Thank you so much. Yeah, no worries. Pleasure. You have got an absolutely incredible resume. Thank you. Um, you know, for me, it starts, we met 10, 12, how many years ago it was. You're at Spices, kicking loads of goals, winning a plethora of awards. Where do you actually have to store those awards? Have you got like a house where you've just put them, all these trophies and awards yeah. in now? Or Sadly, I, most of them are in a box in the shed. <laughs> right. um, it's, a bit, okay. it's a bit terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't mean to sound like I don't appreciate them, but it's... Um, yeah, you know, when you when you win a few, you kind of go, yeah, cool. Because it's more about sharing it with the team too, right? Yeah, like it's, yeah. It's not about that piece of paper or about me. It's about the team. So it's kind of a bit more like a store it in the in the beers for the team, kind of a, a catalog rather than put them in a, on a wall or something. I haven't got a pool room either, so you know. It's a bit yeah, hard. right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I do want to get to your trip away, your research trip. That's something I really want to focus on today. But just quickly, give us a rundown of uh, of Cameron Matthews. Uh, and what what got you? Where were you before you got to Spices? How did you get? Where where did you come from? Yeah, so I spent ten years um, from from apprenticeship years. So been uh, thirty years this November. I, I just ticked over in in kitchens. So you started um, when you were five. Uh, thank you. That's, uh, <laughs> you can stay. Um, yeah, no, it doesn't feel like thirty years, right? But I uh, spent ten years with an Italian family down in Victoria um, called Simone's of Bright. So super little small. Uh, actually in, a, in Ovens Valley Motoring, red shed pole carpet and sort of copper art fireplace and it was pretty horrible, but uh, had a hat and a good food guide. Uh, Claude Farrell was the uh, the editor of the Good Food Guide then, used to drive up from Melbourne probably once a month to come and eat with us, which was just really cool. People used to come for the food, proper Italian food, you know, go to a farm, pick the zucchini flowers over in the morning and all the stuff and everything, all the trim went straight to the pig and then every autumn you'd, you'd kill the pig and make the salamis and like full on proper Italian kind of restaurant, which was pretty amazing. And, and actually, you know what, we'll touch on that just quickly. That, that's that's very sustainable. So let's not even go there for a second. We're going to come full circle and come back to that Italian yeah, restaurant. Right. So, so Simone's is, was, was kind of that, that trendiness before it became trendy, right? Like yeah, it was, yeah, it was yeah. proper Italian. Uh, left there, went to Donovan's in St Kilda for 12 months. Um, not a city kind of a cook. I prefer regional areas, pretty sure. Um, had to go and have some fairly major surgery. Had actually had a chest reconstruction of all things. Was lying in my hospital bed two days after and uh, had a phone call from the husband of my year 10 home economics teacher who was opening Suramate up here in Mount Cotton. And uh, he said, hey, do you want to come and he knew me from Simone's? Do you want to come and open this place? So I did. I was supposed to be off work for six months and we opened after I'd been off for three months. So I opened Suramate with a chest full of broken ribs as you do. A um, couple of years out there, went and did a bit of travel. Uh, Come back, went, ended up at Simone's again, a couple of years, and then uh, had met my wife Leanne at, at Suramay, and we, we had having our first child, so we come back to Queensland, and uh, ended up at a, at a little restaurant for a little while, and that didn't work out. And on the day they'd advertised for, uh, or said George Diamond was leaving Siggy's at the Stanford Plaza, uh, was leaving, so I, I kind of fluked that job. I'd actually done a, a breakfast lunch shift and I, I rode around there on my bike to drop a resume off, which they said I could do, and end up in the GM's office in my you know, dirty old chef kind of clothes after riding through Brisbane heat about for about 10 minutes. Um, got the job, was there for five years and hated it, pretty mm. much hated big hotels. Um, and was looking for that perfect job. 
you know, and, and then found the Spices opening. So Spices wasn't in existence at the time. Um, Clavelli popped up. I saw it at work because, you know, you spend most of your time at work on Seek. Um, got home and my wife Leanne had printed it off and was sitting on the kitchen table. So well, that's our job. We always wanted to live in Modfield. Come up to Spices and kind of the rest is history, I suppose. 11 and a half years to be with Spices. So you were like the GM, yeah? Of, of uh, Valley? Yeah, so Spices, I, I started as the head chef with yeah. the, the now managing director, Dave Asif. Um, so we were kind of the core team that opened Club Valley. Um, then through, I guess, attrition, people moving on, become the, the GM and the executive chef there at the same time. So managed the property from in the kitchen. Um, and then stepped up into a uh, executive chef role for the whole group. Uh, become part of the senior leadership team, which is a bit of a blast. So we'll forwards. give them a bit of a shout. So at Spices Peak, Spices Club Valley, uh, Hidden Vale and the one in the city. What's the one in the city yeah, called? Balfour. Balfour, And yeah. Spices Tamarind as well. Oh, and Tamarind as well. Yeah. Oh, that's five. And now three, three down in the Hunter. Oh, well, two in the Hunter. Yeah. Um, Spices it, Guest House. Is that where Tokyo. you've been? So I've been, I've been down in the Hunter. Um, yeah, okay. When, uh, so what about nine years, I guess it was, with Spices? I, I thought I've had, had enough of the group. But not had enough, but just needed a change. Oh, no, that's that's healthy, yeah. And left. Uh, we actually took long service leave and, and left. And... Uh, when did a food van out at the Fajal farm. Oh, yeah, yeah, which I remember was fantastic. that. Yeah, yeah, Sally yeah. and Pete. Yeah, friends um, of mine. And we did a little food van myrtle for, for seven weeks, which was just an absolute blast. Yeah. I remember that. Probably not the smartest thing when you're six foot seven and a roof six foot five. But, yeah, um, yeah. You know, I had my daughter, she was 10, in there doing coffee and, oh, yeah, sorry, doing cake and ice cream and all this stuff for me. And it was just fun, right? So did totally you pay her, uh, Yes. Did the government know about that? Yeah, yeah. She's got a tax file <laughs> number also. It's all good. Um, put me on the spot. Um, and in that meantime, I was still sort of working for Spices. Yeah. You know, and then we're looking for chefs for, for Hunter Valley. And I went down there to help them out and stayed for a week and then stayed for three months and then stayed for six months and then stayed for 12 months and stayed for two and a half years in the end. Um, and finished up down there, yeah, three weeks ago. Before finished with the group three weeks ago. And uh, opened my own place essentially tomorrow. <laughs> it's called Wins- Win- Winston. Winston. Yeah, okay. It's still, when you come in here to Winston, it's in the Wasabi building mm. that was uh, Alana's also did her pop up here. So how long are you going to be here for? Oh, look, a, a couple of months to start with, but yeah. we'll sort of we'll plan that by year as well. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, all the hard work's kind of been done by tomorrow night. Some would say the hard work starts tomorrow night, but it's a different kind of work. All the yeah. planning and, and the, you know, getting up and running. The actual running of a restaurant is, is what I do. It's what I, what I like to do. It's the pre-stuff that gets a little bit hard and a little bit stressy, but... Um, you know, once we're open and, and, and working it, that's kind of the fun part. And yeah. you know, I want to stay as long as I can. Like, we were sitting here, you look out the window and it's yeah. pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I got, like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I ended up uh, getting married next door. Yeah, it, it is beautiful. Looking out over the water here, it is stunning. And uh, if anyone hasn't been, you could come just for that and you'd be happy. Um, let's let's touch on that a little bit. Just quickly, um, what's going to be on this? this what's, what's going to be on this menu? Yeah, so the menu is going to be called retrospective in my book. So it's, it's kind of me looking back at, at what I've enjoyed doing for the last 30 years um, without wanting to sound like a tosser about it. You know, there's, there's been all these things that I've cooked um, that I've loved and wanted to kind of bring back, but you, you kind of can't. So it's a, it's a bit of a, I guess, a look back through the, the annals of, of Cameron Matthews. That was annals, not anything else. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I look back through the page. You probably want to cut that bit out. <laughs> look back through the anus of Cameron Matthews. Um, you know. Or, or no, not, leave it, leave it, leave or it. not up to you. Um, you know, it's it's there's all these dishes in every dish, so we're only we're only doing what well, not only, but we're we're running a four course um, choice menu. So two dishes in each each course, mm-hmm. and each dish has a has a story and, a, and an absolute hundred um, percent reason for being on the menu at the moment. And I feel really connected to it. So that's kind of um, what we're doing on the menu is food that, that I'm super connected with, um, and every dish has. I guess more than just one story. They've got multiple stories, and there's, there's lots of reasons behind behind most of the dishes, you know. And some of them are a little bit a little bit, um, I guess, ethereal and, and out there. But that sometimes makes for the whole, I guess, the X factor of a restaurant when you when you don't be too in depth and, and too wanky about it and go, oh, this is because you know, rah, rah, rah. it's a bit more like, well, you know what, such and such said this was a great dish one time, and I can make it a dish that we can eat with chopsticks. So I'm going to put that on the menu, and there's other connections there as well, kind of. You mm. know, um, Probably doesn't make much sense without knowing what dishes I'm talking about. But um, yeah, really looking forward to, to cooking the dishes. You know, like, like there's, there's dishes there that are kind of old friends, but then they're not old friends okay. in, that, in that I hate signature dishes. I think signature dishes are a load of wank. Um, yeah. And I, I really 
just think signature dish is kind of like a lazy dish almost. It's like, oh, well, it's good enough. I don't have to change it now. It's my signature dish. <laughs> kind of, you know, like, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's dishes there that every dish is inspired by a story or something that I've done in the past, but none of them I've actually done before in the past. You know, they're, they're, they're new iterations, alliterations of, of, uh, of what I've done before in the past. And okay. they've got to fit in this space, right? It's yeah. still wasabi. Like, let's face it, it's still, you know, Danielle's still around and wouldn't have it any other way. It's fantastic working with her and we're in the wasabi space. Mm. It's just, we're just kind of here as a, as a bit of a, you know, a subtenant, I guess, of the wasabi space and, and, mm. and a caretaker, I guess. Um, so it's Winston at wasabi. You know, it should be a little bit. There should be a little bit of homage to that as well. So you know, is that then for me opens up that whole palette of of new ingredients as well. Mm. Like there's always Asian stuff that I've never cooked with before that I sort of have, but but never in a restaurant because oh, I've always that'll be part of the thirty years, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's always been Italian or modern European or whatever it is. So you're remarkably uh, calm, given that, and you are always seemingly calm, looking from the outside. Uh, and I know that chefs uh, are under all sorts of stress, as probably most people are in some way, shape, or form. But you know, chefs have a different type of stress um, that's that's put on them. Um, let's talk about uh, your research trip and what you learn about sustainability. Now, sustainability, big word, as you know, um, but let's explain it so that everyone gets a little bit like you know, staff sustainability, you know, yourself sustainability, sustainability of the products, the connections. I really want to know some of the awesome stories, the people you met. I'm going to go walk away. I know you can talk about this for 45 minutes. <laughs> no, but I really, like that trip, we, we read that report pretty much in the car on the way up. Scarlett read it out to me. Uh, that just blew my mind. And I and I touched on it a little while ago, but I never, you know, you're always going to get back and read that. So if anyone else has done that, get in there and read this. But let's, let's um, give them a bit of a teaser of that journey, how you won that award um, to go and do that. And yeah, I think I've, with that. I've got as long as what you had. No, <laughs> seriously, take your time with it. Take your time with it because Look, it's, it's, such it's a, amazing. It's such an honour. Yeah, it is. And, and it still sort of, it still seems surreal like it happened to somebody else, I guess. You know? and, and there's a, there's a weight and a pressure that comes with it as well, which, which I'm sort of, is part of the reason for where Winston comes from, you know. Um, yeah, I bet. So 2016, um, some friends of mine that kind of move in those kind of circles of, of um Mental health and sustainability. Knew that I had a, a, a fair bit of a passion for it, and, and was looking for, um, I guess, a better way. You know, after after my own struggling with my own demons, like most chefs have. I think we've all got we've all got things in the cupboard. Um, and they they kind of said, "You've got to apply. You should apply. You should apply." You know, because they kept talking about making change and changing. As a chef, you don't just make change; you change the whole industry, right? Like it's it's not about making change in your little neighbourhoods, change the world, or, or kind of nothing. You know, it's, it's, it's or is it just change your backyard and set an example so other people? Well, it's both, right? Yeah, it's the same yeah. sort of thing in my yeah. head. Um, so, eventually, to get them off my back, I applied on a Saturday. And this is—I'm not supposed to sound flippant about this. It's probably how it's how it happens. I applied on a Saturday night after dinner service, more so to get people off my back because they were. They kept asking me, "Have you applied yet? Have you applied?" Yet? I was like, "Yeah, okay, I'll apply." And it's kind of like an apply now application. You know, 500 words, tell us your, your project plan, all the rest of it. So, in typical Cameron fashion, I kind of smashed one out and um, got an interview. And the interview actually happened to fall on the same weekend as Tasteport Douglas, um, which I had a dinner on the Saturday night and a dinner on the Sunday night to do, and the interview was 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. It's like, oh, okay, I really need to go to the interview, but I've already committed to these two dinners, what do I do? So flew to Port Douglas, did dinner on Saturday night, flew back to the uh, Roma Court uh, courthouse, Roma Street courthouse, and it's on the high court, so right at the top 16th floor. Um, Hung over as you as you are when you're away on a food weekend. You know? <laughs> um, two big security guards take you upstairs. I had no idea what to expect. Put in a little antechamber by yourself. You kind of thinking this is kind of weird. You know, like, mm. I'm pretty like you said, laid back and started going. Shit, I better like, think about what I'm going to say here, right? Like, like mm. you know, put some put some prep into it. I've got two minutes. <laughs> um, went in, sat down, and there's 14 people sitting in front of you as, as a judging panel. You're on your little table with your, your water jug and you know, kind of break a rant kind of style. They said, well, tell us about your project. And I kind of said to them, you know, um, I didn't actually know what my project was, but it was about making change within the industry. And looking at sustainability um, was a good start for that. So I obviously did a good job and they, they awarded me a Churchill Fellowship. Um, 
which is which is pretty amazing. Mm. You know, there's there's well, there's 106 Australians in, in my year that got to go away, mostly from the medical field. And when I read them, like my fellow Queenslands um, Churchillians that went away with me, they, they did some pretty big ticket kind of things, right? Like like um, I won't go into it too much, but you know, studying Eurycanja jellyfish, and, and one one of them was uh, actually studying. Um, like fire retardants and all sorts of stuff. He was a fiery and, and escaping from high-rise buildings and it was the year that Grenfell Towers burned down in, in London. So he ended up going there and going through with the investigative team wow. through Grenfell Towers and stuff. So, yeah, it gives me goosebumps when thinking about the stories yeah. that he told us. So I had this opportunity to go away and look at sustainability in high-end restaurants uh, around the world. So, um, you know, I went to Blue Hill and Stone Barns with Dan Barber, uh, Shape and East in San Francisco, kind of the home of the, the you know, forks of farm to table kind of movement with, with Alice Waters, uh, Restaurant Raleigh, um, where else did I go? Uh, a mass in Copenhagen, did um, UK Harvest in uh, in London, right on the Thames, which was a pretty amazing event with sort of 30 of the UK's top chefs. You know, some of the people that, that I, you know, a little bit of weed come out when I realise I'm in the same room as them. <laughs> you see your face up on the big screen alongside, you know, the Angela Harnets and the, and the you know, Jamie um, Oliver, come on. Well, Jamie, yes, <laughs> stood and had a big chat with Jamie. That was ended up on his boat drinking whiskey and all the rest of it, which yeah, was kind of cool. Um, Brett Graham, you know, all those kind of guys, which was, was just mind-blowing, you know, from, yeah. a, from a cook from country Victoria, uh, Victoria, basically, or country Queensland. It was pretty amazing. So, well, I, and, and what I realised, I guess, was, um, well, probably my favourite part of, of the Churchill Fellowship is the, is the, the story that's a, the chicken, the chef, and cognitive dissonance. So it was pretty much my my first night in San Francisco at Chez Panisse, and I was standing beside a another stagiaire, and we're potting broad beans as you do, and having a chit chat. And he was studying psychology at Berkeley University at the same time. And you kind of go, you know, for me, Berkeley University almost doesn't exist in my universe; like that's somewhere else. And mm. to be studying psychology at Berkeley University and working in a kitchen is like a kind of a kind of plays with your head a little bit, right? It's, it's like okay, cool. So we're having this chat told him why I was there and, and he started telling me about cognitive dissonance. So people who do things they know that they shouldn't. And his best example was doctors who smoke. Mm. You kind of go, okay, yeah, fair enough, got it. I said, well, how does that relate back to chefs? And he said, well, you know, you'll always chase kind of, you know, great product, but don't look after yourselves. And it got me thinking about, you know, all these different bits and pieces. There's all these other amazing conversations that happened along the way as well. I got to meet you know, some, some pretty high-end Formula One drivers and, and their mentality around that. Dan Barber was, was absolutely mind-blowing. What an inspirational dude he is. Like, he's just fantastic. Just, just being in the same room as him, you just want to go and do amazing things. Um, you know, Matt Orlando at a mass, same thing. Lovely guy. Hey, mate, come on, work up in here. Tell me your story, kind of that kind of a thing. But um, this kid, it's, he's stuck in my head. And he actually stitched up my whole travel through cognitive dissonance. And the story of the chicken, the chef, and cognitive dissonance kind of goes something along the lines of, you know, as chefs, we always chase the, the best product. And I use the chicken as, a, as the example because it's such a, a mundane ingredient, I guess. You know, we want the chicken that's been, uh, I guess, raised on, you know, on AstroTurf and been fed gold-plated chicken feed and is drunk Evian and, you know, it's like the perfect chicken. That's what we want in the kitchen store and to serve our guests. But then we're more than prepared to shove ourselves in a, you know, tiled, fluorescently lit room smash down you know 15 coffees a day if we do eat it's a, it's a heel of a loaf of bread smash through some mashed potatoes or something sitting on a milk crate in the rubbish area um if you look at that if that was our produce we wouldn't use it because it's not good enough mm. so we're battery chefs and we want free-range produce you know amazing produce and i mean you guys would see it all the time you know this product this i want this product i want this product this product and you look at the chef and he's standing uh, there I, I read that in your report the way i was going read it to me and it was yeah, that just that just sums it up so perfectly, and uh, I hope everyone just heard what you just said there because you know that battery hand, you know the kitchen, it is just perfect. Like you like I said, it's got the temperature, it's got the lights, it's got the long hours, it's got the pressure, and that is exactly what those battery hands are going through. They've got these ones with broken like, arms. Yeah, and legs yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and they're still made to go working, and it's, uh, so that's all old school. So you know, keep telling me about this thing because, but I, I want to ask you at the end of it, you know, what are you doing about it, and how have you come full circle? So keep telling me about this awesome trip. So. When, when I got back, you have to write essentially, I call it a thesis, essentially, right? You write the report. Um, and my, I went away to study sustainability, but I got put under mental health when they actually filed it and filed it under mental health, which has then led me to kind of think about how sustainability and mental health go hand in hand, right? If, you, if you're running a sustainable kitchen, it actually means you're caring about the mental health of, of people within the kitchen. 
and it all sounds a little bit cliched now. Um, you know, there's a, not cliche, it's probably the wrong word to use around sustainability and mental health because it's more important than that. But there's a lot of talk about it in the industry at the moment, right? And it seems like everyone's doing something about mental health or, or um, sustainability. Well, everyone's talking about it at least. Not that many people are actually doing anything about it. Yeah, which really yeah, yeah kind that's, of, that's something I want to ask you as well, Ian. Like, it's a big frustration, yeah. right? So much conversation around it, which I think is fantastic because it starts with a conversation, but it's making that change to, to become that what we're talking about. Um, so then I relate that back to Simone's when we used to go to the garden, right? So our day was going out in the garden and, and doing some stuff and patting a pig and, you know, playing with the dogs for a couple of minutes. And we worked hard and we worked long. I think as, as kitchen team and, and hospital people in general, we're going to work hard and long because it's what we do, right? It's what we enjoy. But to take ourselves outside and be in the sunshine and give ourselves that time to actually breathe some fresh air and, and do something slightly different outside four square walls and, and fluorescent light is, is it's a sustainable practice. Um, you know, I mentioned um, Formula One drivers just before. Um, I was talking to one of the guys who just retired and, you know, had, had won some pretty serious races and all the rest of it. And he was telling me about, about the, the way the Formula One team kind of works. This is in London. Um, seeing at Claridge's in London. Oh, it was fantastic talking to F1 drivers, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, as you do. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> as you do. And... Um, he was saying, you know, the guy who hangs up the jacket basically at the end of the night, right, has to be as fit as everybody else in the team. Because if he doesn't do his job properly, if he's not on the ball at 100% and, and fully engaged with the F1 mentality, and the next day the engineer comes in and can't find his jacket and it's two minutes late to the track for something, for testing, as an example, it can cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars and that, that, that hundreds of thousands of a second that wins them a championship. Yeah. And that's their mentality. So all those guys, doesn't matter who you are, if you're the floor sweeper, you're kind of expected to go to the gym and eat a great diet and be amazing and fit and have that F1 mentality. That, that's the kitchen, right? We all want to cook amazing food. Now, doesn't matter what level, and we're not talking about fine dining, you know, we're talking about every single level. If you're going to make sandwiches, it should be the best bloody sandwich you can make, right? Yeah. If you're going to make a pie, it should be the best bloody pie you can make. So to do that, you need to be the best version of you. So you need to be, you, know, you need to be not knackered, yeah, so you need to you need to have sleep. You need to be hydrated. You need to be well fed. You need to you know have clean food and water. You know, like you would with a, with a, the chicken. You need to live on astroturf and drink avion mm. um, to be able to produce that in in the end. So that's kind of what the what the Church of Fellowship um, taught me in a nutshell. You know, through all these amazing people, that's that's fairly obvious. So then, working with spices, you know, amazing amazing group. They do a lot in the in the green space. A lot of uh, sustainable. Um, practices and look after people really well and when I started talking about you know I guess church or fellowship it I found it really hard because people would say oh but you've got spices behind you kind of you know like it's yeah you can do whatever you want you know like, like oh you know yeah they're loaded you can do whatever you want yeah um and then I think you know the COVID change or the COVID whatever whatever we're calling it these days um probably said in my mind it's, it's time to uh to come out on my own and, and do something different, but make it that, that model that, that can be different and, and good and great and hopefully, um, you know, show that you can cook amazing great food without killing yourself at the same time. I'm pretty adamant that we're, we're not going to, as a kitchen team, we're not going to work over 50 hours a week, you know, and, and it's going to be hard. There's only there's only four of us, you know, like mm. it's, it's not a big team. Um, I want the guys to be out and about. We, we're we're going to do good good staff meals, and we're all going to sit down around a kitchen table or around a table every day and eat a good meal at the same time. Not allowed to leave. Yeah. At the same time, not allowed to leave. No phones. You know, like, like be like dad and go. No, sorry. If you want to use your phone, you, fifteen minutes you eat, and if you want to use your phone, you've got fifteen minutes to bugger off outside and talk to your wife, whatever you need to do. But you know, you need to be at the dinner table, and yeah. the table should be set, and we should have you know, water on the table and have food. All those things. You know, like like. What's it look like? We're, our hours at the moment, being being a pop up is probably a little bit little bit different, or a chef in residence. So we're we're open the, the four nights and Sunday lunch, but there's a reason behind that. So people get Sunday night off to go and do what they want to do, and then have Monday, Tuesday off, and basically don't start back until sort of hopefully lunchtime Wednesday. Yeah. So there is a really good break. You know, um, I want I want the guys in the kitchen to be able to do you know to go for a surf in the morning and then come to work because they'll be happier, they'll be fitter, they'll be stronger. You know, they'll they'll just be better better cooks. And that's super important. So this is the first step towards me trying to create something that's, that's a, I guess when I went away, I was looking for a blueprint, right? What, what works? 
you know, what's what's it look like? What can we take a, take and put over every single restaurant and go, this is what you need to do. You know, like a fishnet over the top of a restaurant and go, this is what you need to do. And you can't. Hospo's so different. Every restaurant's so different. Every owner might have different expectations as well. It's like, hey, mate, we need to be open seven days a week because I need to turn this over to get the rent paid, right, right. But the biggest thing that, that for me and the biggest change I want to make in the industry is challenging people to make change. Yeah, I think you're dead right. Because people talk about it, but no one changes anything. Yeah, and if they do, they forget it after two years. Like mm-hmm. if two, you know, let's say two, three years ago, we went around and put a heap of beehives and now people pulling them down and... Like we did things for a reason, but we forget the re-why and we're not retraining and re-reminding us of why we do things. I think people see stuff and they go, that's cool, I want to do that. Yeah. And it's kind of new and bright and shiny, right? Are they doing it for the reasons that everyone else is doing it and it's sort of cool at the moment? Or are we doing it, you know, the cloud? The cloud? Yeah, yeah. street cred, right? Yeah. yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But the, for me, instead of, you know, you mentioned beehives, instead of putting beehives on your roof, maybe buy everyone in the kitchen a water bottle and make sure everyone has a, a bottle of water every day. You know what I mean? Like, like, like follow that. Write that down, Scott. Let's get everyone a bottle of water. We got the water, but we're smashing through those paper cups. Check check on everyone's you know hydration. Whatever you know, like there's all those things that that are that are, that are inherently human. You know, yeah. like everyone knows that you know yeah you can go for food without you know for days, but you, you only last two days without water, right? And ask any busy chef when was the last time you stopped and had a glass of water, right? Yeah. Like it doesn't happen. Have you had how many have you had today? Yeah, none. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I didn't say I was good at it, right? I said I'm trying to change. Jemima, how many waters have you had today? How many waters? Yeah. Oh, show off. Okay. There's always one. There's always one. But look at her beautiful soft skin, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, I'm, I'm not perfect. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm perfect. It's, it's, I'm so far from it. Well, what are know? we doing here? We come to see you because you're perfect. <laughs> but I'm, but I'm, I'm conscious of it and I'm trying to make change. Yeah. You know, and, and right now in this week, yeah, we're, we're a day off, you know, opening something. So it's, it's hard and it's intense and all the rest of it. But probably for the first time in my life, I'm making sure I'm eating breakfast. Good. You know what I mean? Like rather than, than five cups of coffee, kind of, you know, like, like it's money because, you know, Leanne's on to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but, uh, the support at home is, is paramount both ways. So you need to support her with the kids and all the stuff that you guys do elsewhere. And, and, and that's that team environment. That's, that's so important. Of every successful chef that we've spoken to has had an amazing pit crew mm. at home, like a Formula One team. Like, you know, you guys need to be looking after each other, and I'm sure you are, and, and lots of people are doing it very, very well. I've got to talk a bit louder, Scott. Sorry. Um, but what I want to say is um, with the, the food on the menu now, like, I know you like lots of great little producers and you're a lovely supporter of us, um, but how has these sort of thinking changed the way that we're doing things? Because for me, I can cook a meal in two minutes at home and it'd be one of the most delicious things I've ever had. Now, how do you do that in a restaurant environment where you want to create lots of value and skill on the plate, but you also want to have something that's sustainable for you to do and is respecting the product? You know where I'm going with this question? Like, where we, do we keep carrots whole instead of doing them and we get them from a farmer who's growing them out rather than just leaving as a baby? And, or, and then other times, do we just leave baby radishes, but we do we just keep them clean and pick them fresh and, and use the leaves? Like, what is there, has there been a big change since you went overseas? back to the menu where you're making the, the food has just dramatically changed. Yeah, I think probably the biggest change that I've noticed is, is driven by sustainability and, and you know, the, the radishes, you use the radish top now as well, mm. which brings a lot of flavour. Mm. And I think that the root to tip kind of movement yeah. um, has been fantastic. So I think there's a lot more people looking at going, and, and from a cost perspective as well, right? Everything's getting more and more expensive as, as, as we go. But um, to be able to look at something and go, oh, you know what, I'm going to do this or that and be creative with the trim in the kitchen rather than buying in, you know, a lobe of foie gras or whatever it was, kind of that luxury high-end ingredient. It's now sort of more luxury to have beautiful fresh radish leaves. I was wondering what now. we actually do with the, the core product. So we use the cauliflower stem now. What are we doing with the cauliflower? It becomes the waste. No, yeah. I'm joking, but yeah. Well, it almost does, yeah, you know right? what I'm And saying? that's fantastic, though. Yeah, yeah. I actually think that's kind of, yeah. kind of amazing, right? Yeah. I remember years ago asking you for cauliflower stems and, and roots and that. You are like, what? What do you, you know, like, like, wasn't me, man. I would have said, "Yeah, I'm cool. I'm way." I think cool. you were. I think, I think you said, "Yeah, that's forty-eight dollars a kilo." Um, <laughs> you, know, um, you know, it's it's you know, like like it's and that drives creativity and it also drives the the style of food. I think in, in Australia these days, you know, there's, there's wasted there's, is lack of imagination. Yeah, so much, so much, so in 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 all things in life in in the way you walk down the street, if you waste the time by thinking about not the present or whatever it might be. Like there's just waste all the time. So if we're using 
you know everything correctly we will make amazing things i know you're drying out things i tell uh, you know in that report let's tell everyone about the lemon yeah right we'll do but you say waste is time you know through my work with Oz harvest one in five shopping bags you know going to going to landfill people say but i don't have time mm. to shop more regularly so i buy this stuff and it goes to landfill but they're working that hard because they have to pay for that extra groceries because most of it's gone to landfill. You yeah. know, it's that vicious circle. Yeah, well, that's the old yoga master goes, I get up every morning and do half an hour of yoga. And if you're busy, get up and do two hours of yoga. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So true though, right? Like it's yeah. crazy. So the lemon, the lemon, the burnt lemon powder we, we make. So um, this came from, from a, a mass, which part of my, my day was sort of the lemon section. Um, you know, we basically take a lemon and you zest it or juice it or whatever. Um, so we're making, they're making this, this tea to set their, uh, set their hand towels. But you, you'd use the lemons in whatever, whatever you needed to use it in. And then you'd essentially make a tea out of the spent lemon husks. And then once that tea had been made, you'd drain it off and then take the, the white, the pith that's left over. So you'd have the, you know, all the flesh would have gone, the zest would have gone and then dry out the, the lemon husk. And um, talking with my hands, yeah, sorry. It's, no, 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 no. <laughs> Explaining it with my it. hands. Everyone can see it. Everyone can um, see it. Take couple of photos, go. So dry out, dry out the lemon husk. We'll put them in the oven and, and get them slightly browned and a little bit dark around the edges and then dry them out and then puree them up. You know what this amazing, for me, it tastes like, like I would imagine something from Morocco kind of should taste like. It's this kind of, not smoky, but... Um, it's hard to explain. It's, 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 it's a good unique. bitter, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing bitter. Like when yeah. you get it, when you get it right, it's 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 like marmalade bitter. You know, yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. that really good marmalade bitter, and and you can have this citrusy overtones, and it's sort of dark and mysterious, and and it's a fantastic product. And once you have that in your kitchen, there's all these other things you can do from that too. Right? Like there's there's so many things you can do with with waste products once you start thinking separately, other than the traditional kind of methods. You know. Yeah, some of the best I know are uh, Joe and, and uh, Joe, Joe Barrett, Matt Stone, um, Nick Holloway, Ben Williamson. They're really good at using their wastage, and I know you are obviously as well. Um, yeah, it's 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 uh, yeah, there are, maybe I read something in that report as well. You, uh, recipe page wastage thing was there something there that you were gonna? Yeah, so this, there was just part of that pressure that's now on you from being much. part of that that you you know. I've got I've got a. A book booklet, kind of half written, I guess, of of, um, of recipes with waste. You know, um, there's all these all those lovely skins and bits and pieces that we have. You know, and, and we've actually it's a technique I use, I use a lot of, and it's, it's juicing. You know, anything you can get a juice out of. So you know, celeriac skins is an example, and we juice them, and you get this awesome juice out of it. You bring it to the boil, skim it off, because you get all the impurities out of it. We split it in half and roast half of the juice and you actually put it in the oven and roast it. So it's all caramelized in the bottom of the tray and all the juice is gone and then deglaze with the other half. And you know, with Stop this brown it. roasted celeriac, we talk about celeriac, not in season, but there's this, it's almost like, like a brown chicken stock substitute, yeah. purely made on celeriac skins. And it's fantastic. You know, you do that and, and season with a bit of like burnt lemon powder or something. And you have this- This is a whole new cuisine. This amazing different cuisine. It, it has a has a reason, has a, a different flavour profile to anything else anyone's had before, right? Um, you know, and it's it's delicious. One of the things we'll do here is all the scrap of tomatoes, we make a tomato consomme out of hearts and all that sort of stuff, and do the same process. So yeah. take half of a traditional tomato consomme, roast it, and it deglaze with the other half, so and it's delicious. Well, you know, like, well... we'll That's copyright to... too, by the way. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll uh, have to um, get you down to work, because, you know, as a, as, a, as a supplier of vegetables, everyone thinks that everything needs to be absolutely perfect all year round. And sometimes it's not. Uh, and a lot of the time we don't actually use it. And yes, we've got chefs who do take some of it and, and either, you know, whether it be herbs, they might cook it down and make some delicious, you know, drink out of it or juice it or whatever. But uh, and a lot of it ends up going into our homes or else it goes into a, like, a, like a proper landfill thing where we have to take the rub bands off or anything that wasn't sold um, so it can be properly, um, you know, put through one of those machines that mm -hmm. you probably wouldn't close loopy close loop, yep. Um So, yeah, I think that that book's a must and, I, and that's Cameron's book for everyone who's even trying to steal that idea already. But um, please jump in and do that quickly because I think that that is fantastic and any help that we can be, please let me I, let Actually, me think the more people that steal that idea and write books about using cooking with waste, the better it can be. So, so everyone steal that, please. Um, Cameron's allowing you all to steal that idea now. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I just want 10%. <laughs>
<laughs> and then, and, and you what? You probably will get ten percent, and we'll probably all get ten percent longer. You know, like I, I recently, I know that, you know. I just watched that David Attenborough thing where he starts off, and have you seen that? My, you know, he talks, oh, life, 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 yeah, life, life yeah, life on this planet, and it's like his sort of testimony of what's happened to him over the last hundred and where mm-hmm. he thinks. So. If you haven't watched that, watch that because it actually rolls in with a heap of what you're talking about yeah, from right. an environmental perspective. Um, yeah. So tell me, uh, you're definitely you're putting as many of these things into practice uh, for this new restaurant, new pop up right now. Um, you've said you're not doing more than 50 hours with a bit of luck. Are you combining a little bit like those life skills where we didn't used to think that when you're uh, on these farms and and the, and the way that we used to cook hundreds of years ago, a part of the day was to go get the zucchini flowers. That wasn't considered the work. You're going to walking through the garden and patting the dog and all that. That was a part of your day. Mm. I think there's a lot of pressure on employers to really box down what it actually what your work day is and a field trip to the farm you know it is still considered work you know and these foraging trips that i know some of these guys do it's still considered work you know but i think um you know like any artist if you're not doing a little bit of stuff outside of that that you can combine as exercise and fresh air and a walk or whatever then you then you're probably missing the point yeah and, and um things so yeah, I learned loads from reading report. Where do people find that report, mate? I know we just Googled your name, but where, where did... It, it, basically, if you, if you Google Cameron Matthews Churchill Fellowship, um, it, it pops yeah, up there. That's yeah, the easiest, yeah. way to, uh, easiest way to find it because and it's we'll, on the Churchill Fellowship website. But it's, and we'll, we'll tag that somehow in, in this post as well. But uh, also, I just want to... Uh, actually, we'll just tag all your Instagram and all that stuff um, mm-hmm. on the bottom there. But um, not that we're ending, by the way. But what else have you got to tell us, mate? Because I'm pretty excited about this new place um, that you're opening. Yeah, look, a bit of a journey. I guess it is. it's a journey. It's the start of a new journey, and it's it's super exciting. You know, um, everyone keeps saying, "Oh, you're stressed out and all this stuff." I feel probably, I'm, I'm probably worried because I'm I, I do feel nice and calm. You know, mm. it's, it's it just feels right. Like it just feels so right. Right. I was worried that when I left Spices, and and you know, I love Spices, I love them a bit. So you know, I don't feel like I've, I've left. I've kind of. I've kind of left home also and leave the family kind of you know what I mean like, like yeah. it's a bit more like that because um, yeah. ah, they're amazing and they're supportive and you yeah. know fantastic company to work for so if anybody's you know looking for a job send me your resume first and then maybe look at Spices second you know, yeah 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 yeah. Um, yeah so everyone's yeah what is going on with this crazy need for chefs is it just that job sleeper as people are calling it now uh, or what's going on because I've been asked for one place in Brisbane wants 50 chefs like there, there are places that are just screaming out I think a lot of it's in- international is not coming in. You yeah, know? okay. Um, yeah. And I just think, look, we've made it too hard for ourselves. Mm. You know, if, if you're not hardcore, you can't be a chef anymore. And I, I think that's wrong. You can, you can do food and, and love it and, mm. and understand there's lots of different levels for it, you know. And that's all part of the journey, right? It's, it's that whole um, making decisions and, and starting to try and work down towards that. You know, you've sort of called me out on I guess, a couple of times, you know, just during our conversation now. I'm not perfect. We're not going to be a perfect kitchen for that. But what we want to be is, I guess, um, known for having that as a conscious thought, you know, to, to maybe try and change that 1% a week. You know, mm. if you change 1% a week, end of a year, you've changed 50%, right? That's a lot. Mm. That's a huge amount. And well, I, don't, I don't mean food and I don't mean the beverage list and I don't mean service style. And stuff. That's a given. That's stuff we do. I mean, what can we do this week to be better for our team or for ourselves or, you know, for our own mental health? And stuff. I used to be a right animal, you know, like, for those guys that work with me, like at Stanford, at Siggy's, you know, every time I see them, I apologise because I was an absolute, just a right prick. Yeah. You know? And go out of my way to, to be like that. You know, mm. it's kind of like, ha ha, watch it's this. A part of, it's part of a lot of it in the it's, culture. But you kind of grow up and it's part of, part of it's like a like a growing up ceremony. What's right? wrong with you? You can't work 15 hours straight. What's wrong with you? The guys that come in, they'd be there two minutes. I yeah. went through 15, 15 staff, talking about staff, 15 staff That's in three weeks. That's still rife in our culture, in our kitchen culture it's part of our all of our working culture you know but now we wonder why we can't get people all of a sudden for the first time we're not coming to work when we're sick yeah because of corona because we had to well thank god for that yeah. right yeah I know. Like, like and that's our that's our mentality when we opened down you know spices aromo um down in the guest house about two weeks before we opened i slipped and busted my knee out really bad you know did three things to my knee still opened the kitchen it was supposed to be off work but still opened open the kitchen was in the kitchen on crutches you know and did the job because that's what i felt like i needed to do and then I kind of did it and went, that's so bad. What have I just taught that, you know, and then, and then yeah. three months later, I'm saying, mate, you're sick, you need to go home. Oh, but Chef, you didn't, you did it with a broken yeah. leg. Yeah, but I'm different. Well, why am I different? Yeah. You know, like, like 
But then it comes back to practices in your kitchen where the recipes need to be set right. You know, you need to have everything nice and clear, instructions, or another thing I read off your report, you know, like to actually so people can replace you. Mm. You know, like, it's, you know, and I know it's difficult, and like you said, we're not going to get there overnight. But we try and change it, even just our thought pattern in the morning of how can I be slightly better mm. today, whether it's the drink bottle or the, you know, managing our roster so we've got some time off, etc. Clear communication, right? You just touched on it. It's called CRM, so critical resource management. Um, you know, uh, air control towers, uh, medical sensors, anywhere where there's huge amounts of pressure, you use critical uh, resource management. So basically, how do we how do we communicate in stressful periods? Um, which is essentially, OSPO in in a, in a nutshell, we also say how stressful it is. Most people don't communicate clearly enough or have that, that written communication, right? Oh, here's a recipe you know, on the back of a folder or whatever written in a Sharpie kind of, you know, mm. like, what's it actually mean? So if you can spend the time and, and document those things, and you can't just write it once. You know, I've, I wrote recipes out for these guys um, probably two weeks ago and, and sent them out to them. And now they go, oh, but the recipe said, yeah, but don't follow the recipe, like it's wrong, right? Because in real world, what I had in my head, and now we're in a, in a kitchen. I had been different in the kitchen with recipes. Different, different environment. Different airport, different hospital, different equipment. All that stuff, right? Yeah. And then if I don't communicate to them properly, they're not going to know. They're going to get stressed. You know, just before we started having our, having our chat, um, one of the chefs was doing some stuff with some onions, and there's three lots of different cut onions on the bench. It's like, well, no, they're all wrong. Sorry, but I wanted them done this way. It was taking an onion and cutting it into a core so we could make like spaghetti strings out of the onion centre. Yeah. But yeah, he tried it a couple of times yeah. and didn't quite get it. You know, when I was away, I, I had the experience um, of being told seven times to go and put labels on a box properly, and every single time I did it wrong. This is the Mr. Miyagi thing, isn't it? It's like that, right? Wax yes. on, wax off, label yeah. on, label straight, yeah. label cornered in the center. You know, I had the tape too long, I had to too short, all that sort of stuff. But the problem was, um, every time he, his name was Pigeon. I don't know why they called him Pigeon, but the chef's name was Pigeon. And every time he'd go upstairs, he'd see what I'd done on the containers, and there was a problem with it. But he'd come back down and go, kind of, no, the c- containers are still wrong, you need to, and he'd tell me something, so I'd go upstairs and fix that that one thing. But he'd only give me the one thing, so I'd go back downstairs, and then he'd get back up and go, oh, it's still this. So I wasted like two and a half hours in, in my day running back upstairs, it was quite a waste, to sort these containers out. You know, I think at the time I was a chef of about 26 years, I thought I was pretty switched on and kind of was feeling pretty competent. You know what I mean? Like, and he wasn't taking the mickey. Um, and you know, should have been right to go. But I, I made the mistake. So in, in the end, it was like a really big learning curve on, on my communication with people. I go, well, just cut the onions like this. And they go, okay. And you see them, yeah, any job I think you can do, do it like this. And if you watch the people, they, they stand there and kind of go, uh, yep, okay. And they, they don't really know. Polite. Yeah. They, they want to please, right? Yeah. And they don't, they don't want to be a pain in the bum because they know you're busy or this or that, especially in a busy kitchen environment. They don't want to ask again because yeah. Chances are, in the past, they might have been shouted at for something mm, like that. Mm. Or, you know, there's all these things that, that kind of happen. Or come but across as maybe a little bit stupid sometimes. I don't and know how to cut an onion. But if every, you're doing things that are different. Every movie's got that in there. If you talk back or ask back or, you know, military stuff, it's like, you're a fucking idiot. Go down and do another thing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's part of the part of the issue, right? We need to... Um, I, I always relate it back to cars. You're talking to movies, you know, like turn left to go right. Like, slow down to go faster. You know, it's all those things. Mm. Slow down to go faster. You can be better being slower than just going 100 miles an hour all the time. Economy with quality. Economy with quality. I like that too. You know, there's, there's, there's you know, so many different sayings and, and they're all sayings for a reason, right? Yeah. They all actually make sense. You've just got to stop. Stop and smell the roses. Stop and give yourself time to breathe and go, what do we need to do to go better now? You know, I used to shout at people all day long and now I talk to them nice and calmly and quietly and get so much better result. So mm. much better. You know, tips. That's all elements of life. What advice do you have for um, young people coming into the game? Uh, don't believe the bullshit, I guess. But find someone that's going to tell, tell you um, what it's about straight. There's all these chefs out there that, that um, and I'm so popular for always saying this kind of thing, but, but the, the chef that, that thinks it's all about being hardcore and, you know, oh, we're all this and all that, and you kind of eat his food and be like, mm, really? Yeah. You know, those guys can be kind of addictive because they are hardcore and you become part of the pirate bunch and all the rest of it. You know, like, oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And it's just all bullshit. You know, you better have to go somewhere that just cooks really great food, like super tasty food, that even as an untrained 
person in a kitchen, you should be able to go into a kitchen and taste something and go, wow, that's delicious. Mm. Oh, oh. Mm. you want to make that sound, right? If yeah. you're not making that sound in your first three months, you're probably in the wrong kitchen. Yeah. Okay. You're like, oh, that's yeah. oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, what's that? You know, if you don't have that sound in your voice at three months in when you're tired and, you know, because you work hard, you're probably in the wrong kitchen. Okay. You know. Now, what's your advice for the bosses out there? Make sure that those people come in get that. You know, um, I think one of the biggest problems with with young people coming into our industry at the moment, um, and I don't know what to do about it, I don't have an answer for it, and I know lots of people talk about it, is, you know, we'll put on an apprentice and they, they come in and they run a section. Mm. You know, oh, you're on pastry. Hello, mate, how are you? You know, can you can you, can you do the ice cream for me? I need a rochet. Well, you need a what? A scoop of ice cream. Okay, you've got an ice cream scoop. Well, no, you use a spoon. Dickhead. Cool, you thought you were an apprentice. You know, brand new apprentices put on sections and, and you know, like, like back but can in the we afford days. that as a thing, as a culture? Can yeah, we, you know, put, when people come to a restaurant, on. can they afford that? Don't put them on. So that comes back to the menu, getting the menu right so that you can cook it sustainably and actually get the food out in a, in a productive way. Is that when people went back to cutting packets open? It's, it's exactly what I was just about to say. It's when people stop hiring commie and demi and chef to parties. So you have like a, like a head chef who's had all of two months experience out of his apprenticeship and then other apprentices because it's a cheaper, cheaper, you know, um, I guess model, mm. you know, and then there's no experience in there and that just breeds it then on and on and on. You know, mm. the shortage has created more of a shortage because now what happens is you come out of your apprenticeship and you can go and get a job for 60, 70, 80K, you know, like with no experience. And you see it all the time is people, you know, they'll open a restaurant probably because of the, the master chef effect, you know, mm. Let's open a restaurant. I've oh, got this great young chef. He's fantastic. Six months later, the money's dried up, the funds dried up. It shuts down, and then he starts cooking next door because the new people have shifted in next door. Because oh look, there's a great restaurant there. We'll set up there because that'll be fantastic. And then he moves next door, and then he moves next door, and he moves next door. Mm. And there's this trail of destruction behind kind of young chefs that haven't. And I'm not blaming young chefs. It's old chefs as well. It's all mm. chefs who don't have the responsibility to their to their restaurant owners um, to make sure they're doing a good job. I don't think. So in a kitchen, you really do need a good mix, don't you? You need some really experienced head chefs. It's like I saw the soccer team getting trained in Europe somewhere or Spain or somewhere where they had a mixture of older and all the way down to right down to the little kids so that everyone had someone else to look up to. And I think that sort of um, training ground, mm. whether it be one older guy, one middle guy, you know, whatever it might be, you know, but so you can all actually learn what the next sort of step is. I've had, I've had guys that have worked with me I'll use him as an example. He'll know who he is if he listens to this, and he probably will, but he worked with me for five years at Long Apron. Other guys came and went, and they were all like, oh, we want to push on. I'm here for resume builder and all the rest of it. And, and this guy, you know, was kind of not as fast, but you know what? He turned up every day and did an amazing job every day. And, and you could say, oh, we need to, and you have this done. Fantastic. Mm. You know, the young whippersnapper's kind of, you know, biting at his heels, kind of. And he just turned up every day, and everyone was kind of, oh, he's a bit slow, and, you know, all the rest of it. But he wasn't. He, he did the work, right? And he, he was like old faithful. And without him, we couldn't have achieved what we did at the Long Apron, right? And yet, we, we don't give those guys enough credit. You know, the, the, the I mean it with the utmost respect, the worker bees, the guys just want to come in and do that, their job. They're just consistent. Consistency because is Because they've got someone hanging their jacket up at home, potentially, or they're hanging somebody else's jacket up at home. Whatever their job is, they're just consistent. You know, the, the saying is consistent as... Or they, as, they'll say, you know hey, I only want to work I'm only doing 30 hours. I'll, I'll do I'll do three days and I'll work 10 hours on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. Fantastic. No worries. Don't have a problem with that. Yeah. You know, awesome. That's what you want. Don't then put him on Wednesday and Friday and Saturday because he doesn't want that, right? Mm. You need to look at what they want. And he'll turn up for that 10 hours on Monday, on Tuesday and Wednesday and be amazing for you, give him a reasonable workload, you know, and they'll keep coming back. Mm. And I think it's, I think, the part of the problem with, with hospitality is it's been self-perpetuating. You know, we've kind of done the, the big spirally, you know, sink things, kind of sucking yeah. itself down into the sink. Um, you know, hopefully we'll pop out in the grey water at some stage and it'll all be fine and good. But I think we're kind of our own worst enemy, you know, in, in, in that sense. Certainly, it feels like um, it. You know, how often have you been somewhere and people going, oh, we need more chefs, we need more chefs. And you look at the menu and go, hey, how many more chefs? And you're like, holy moly, how are you going to cook all this? Like, you've got... 47 ingredients on one plate, you know, yeah. and, and you're, you're doing this and you're doing that and you're doing all the rest of it. You know, um, it's where the use of technology comes into it. Use your technology to make it simpler for the kitchen to actually do it, but don't 
you know, don't don't load it up that much that you have to use it because you can't keep up and all the rest of it. You know, you've, mm. you've got to write your menu smart. And if you can't cook food like Heston, don't. Mm. You know, you, you know, it's 40 chefs. You know, when I was at, when I, when I was at Blue Hill, <laughs> name mm. drop, there was like 40-odd chefs in the kitchen. Only th- a lot of them might have been there as... Most of them were stagiaires. I think yeah. there was about 11 people that were actually on the, on the payroll. But you're doing, you know, 100 covers a night and every cover got about 30 courses. But with 40 chefs, it was still manic and, and ridiculous. Mm. You can't go and do Blue Hill. We can't do it here. There's four of us serving hopefully 60 covers. You know, mm. it's not going to work. Mm. So change it. Mm. You know, I think we can do, you know, it's slightly more than eight dishes, but essentially it's eight dishes. And we can do them really well and do food that, that I feel really connected to and I, and I think our guests will really like. And it will be different and unique. Hopefully it'll be different and unique and people will, will understand you know, it's it's connected and, and classic and all the rest of it, but we're gonna have to work hard to do it. But it's still gonna be manageable. You yeah. know, like, like Good. I could have put I could have put fifteen dishes on and we'd be in the shit every day. Like, what's the point? Mm. You know, like, I know it's gonna be delicious. Uh, I know you very well, and I know you've heard. And I know that everyone that comes here is gonna be blown away uh, without putting too much pressure on you. But um, I just know that. So. Um, I'll wrap it up here because I know you've got to get back in there and, and, and continue on and, and work with your wonderful team. And um, I think that a lot of people can do a lot of research on you and learn loads from that report. I look forward to continuing to work with you for many, many years and to watch you grow and to watch you teach and to watch you to continue to inspire the industry, the people that you touch. It's always a pleasure to see that. I mean that with all sincerity. Walking here, you make me feel, feel cool comfortable made sure that you introduced me to everyone you're just a genuine fair income top like and it's a privilege to just even know you so thank you mr cameron matthews for being a part of our little podcast it is the last one of the of the year and i couldn't have thought of a better person to end it with so thank you very very much thanks for having us appreciate the words and uh, appreciate the conversation appreciate the opportunity to be able to get my view out and about as well as many as much as you know a lot of chefs out there probably hate me for saying some of that stuff. I think if it hurts, you need to take it on board and go, why does that hurt so much? Because chances are there's probably something you should be doing different. I think you're right. Thank you, sir. Pleasure. Thank you. Beautiful. Well, that wraps up this season of the podcast. We've done 40 podcasts this corona year, and we're really proud of all the team that's worked very hard on putting this together. Right at the start, there was Billy, then we had Nick, and we ended with beautiful Scarlett. And there's just a lot of work that goes in behind the scenes to getting this right, and we've had such a fantastic year talking to everyone. Uh, We're just going to have a little break over Christmas. So get back there and listen to the ones that you might have missed. And we'll be back in early next year with some fantastic people coming up. We've got Joe Barrett. We've got a heap of really great people lined up for next season. So Merry Christmas, and uh, we'll see you on the flip side or the other side of this busy, busy season. So enjoy, and uh, we'll see you next year. Thank you very much.